Hey everybody, Micah Ness here with Silverline Behind the Frame, and today we are going to catch up with Nathan Berry, who founded ConvertKit, which focuses on email marketing for online creators. And Nathan has been a friend of mine for several years, and we grew up together in Idaho, and it's really exciting to see where his company has come in such a short time. And we get to talk about how the company took shape, the impact that ConvertKit has had on creatives, and he gets to share some helpful business and startup information, such as the value of moving fast and overlapping your customers. And we hope you can glean some valuable tips from this talk, no matter what line of work that you're in. Welcome to the podcast. Today we have Nathan Barry from ConvertKit. So thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me on. So Nathan and I, and I have been uh, friends for uh, I don't know several years. It's it's like been 15, it's been a long 10, time. <laughs> I don't know a, long, a lot of years. Uh, I mean, I don't even remember. I feel like we just met each other through being a part of the same. I mean, it wasn't like, hey, this is this person. It's just like I feel right. like we just grew up knowing each other. Yeah, I have no memory of meeting you, but I have a lot of memories of <laughs> hanging out with you through like Yeah. For uh I guess it'd be high school, college, like that. Yeah. That early time frame. Yeah. High school for sure. And uh in the same circles, some of the same friends and and um and if you and if you don't know ConvertKit, um well give us a little background. I mean we'll we'll go back a little little further and kind of like obviously it, it didn't just start with that right. idea, but at what time did some of that kind of direction start forming? And I guess what age do you kind of start seeing the connections kind of lead to where you are today? Yeah, so so ConvertKit right now is uh, an email marketing platform for creators. So it's um, uh, like competing with MailChimp, um, Aweber, Constant Contact, any of those mm -hmm. tools, um, but specifically for creators. So a lot of bloggers, podcasters, filmmakers, artists, um, all that kind of thing. So everybody from uh, like podcasters like um, uh, Pat Flynn and Tim Ferriss to authors like Gretchen Rubin to we've even got like musicians like Tim McGraw on the platform. And, oh, wow. Cool. Um, so it's come a long way. So we've got 28,000 customers, um, almost 50 people on the team. Nice. Um, and uh, yeah, so that that's where it is now. Right. Um, but it really grew out of me, like my background in software design. And then from there... Um, you know, I got into building an audience online, was using off-the-shelf tools. I was using MailChimp, and right. then I thought, like... But but how early, I guess, go back a little bit further, like how early did you start having an interest in that type of, I mean, you say, you know, web design and that kind of stuff, like, was this a very early age thing, or right. how did you kind of get your feet wet into that space? Yeah, so actually, um, a girl that I dated in high school, like beginning of high school was into building websites, uh, oh, like on nice. GeoCities. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and, uh, you know, I can still picture the websites and, you know, they were, uh, like animated gifts and stuff like that. And, you know, now animated gifts means like memes, but back right. then it was like, I don't know, little, <laughs> like, uh, under construction logos. Yeah. And it's like somebody yeah. shoveling. Like <laughs> we are making this thing come back and see. <laughs> yeah. And I remember just being so impressed when, like she would make a change in notepad and hit save and then refresh the browser and like the background would be right. red now or, or something else and thinking, yeah. like, Oh, this is, this is approachable. And yeah. so I got like HTML books from the library and, um, started learning from there. And so then I think maybe for my 14th birthday, 15, somewhere in there, I convinced mm -hmm. my parents to buy me a copy of Photoshop elements, nice. uh, which is a stripped down version there. What type uh, of computer were you using at that point? Ooh, I don't know. Uh, it was a PC of some kind. But was it like, uh, uh, it was early window, I mean, just to yeah. date for some people, like the... Yeah, so that would have been 2004. So uh, was that 98 still? Windows 98? Or did no, they... no, no, we're, we're past that. That'd be... Or X, X, it'd be XP Windows was XP. 2000 and up for a while, right? XP Plus or something. I think I it, it must have been Windows XP, because yeah. that, that lasted for a long time. Right. That was the best version of Windows, yeah. honestly. Yeah. <laughs> As we're talking, sitting behind a Mac Macintosh, so right. yeah, we know how that goes. <laughs> um, but yeah, somewhere in that process, 
actually uh, another mutual friend of ours, David, uh, taught me how to like yeah. pirate the Adobe, the full Adobe Suite later, <laughs> so that I could go yeah, from elements I never to did like that. Oh. <laughs> um, you know, so it was just like learn everything you can. Right. You start with books from the library, but then I realized like, oh, there's all these blogs that um, people are teaching web design, web standards, all this other stuff, and so mm-hmm. it was just um, design build as much as I can. <laughs> and did it uh, did it seem like just something you enjoyed doing for fun then, or did were you already somewhat minded towards like doing business with that, or what were you? You know, kind of what direction did you take it once you knew, like, hey, this is something I can learn? Yeah, I pretty much immediately went to um, getting people to pay me to do stuff. So, <laughs> uh, so that was ingrained. Before, yeah, that that's that. core to who yeah. I am. Yeah. Um, I did a logo for the Idaho Chess Academy. Ah. Um, did you play chess, chess too? Is, uh, um, I didn't. My younger brothers played chess. Ah, okay. And um, they got into it before I did, and they could beat me. <laughs> and it's just like it's not that much fun when your it's brothers like, well, are just I'm like I'm going to design something then. <laughs> yeah, or, yeah. So it was actually the Idaho Chess Association. So it was like the okay. the overall thing. Um, so I did their logo. I think I charged them seventy five dollars for that, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I did their website right after that, which that website unfortunately is not online anymore. But it was online for like ten years, maybe. Really? Wow. Um, so must have must have done a good job then. <laughs> it was pretty fantastic. <laughs> um. And I think I charged like $150, maybe $200 for the website. And mm-hmm. that was great money. I was I was right. pretty thrilled. <laughs> and then, but then do you, because I remember before you had, uh, or I guess around that time, then you had started kind of a business or kind of a, a cooperative kind of a thing with a few yeah. guys with, were you doing web- websites and design and kind of a mix of stuff? Yeah, or it was mostly did... website design because we found that logos <clears throat> took forever and were really hard and everyone was so opinionated, but websites right. were about the same amount of work, but you could charge like five yeah. times as much. Yeah. So a sure. logo, somebody would be like, I don't know, it's a couple hundred bucks, right? In the And world, you can continue it, to change it too yeah. as it needs changing versus logos like a one thing. Yeah. And honestly, having that many constraints on, on for a great logo, they're really hard to come up with, but mm-hmm. uh, clients wouldn't perceive the value of it because they're yeah. like, I don't know, it's like, 300 pixels square what like how hard could it be um but a website they'd be like oh and it's got all these pages and and you know that like to make a second page you just well then it was you just duplicate the file right tweak some content for them it's a perceived value that's like oh yeah this is gonna take more so you could charge a thousand dollars for a website that would be the same amount of effort right of a logo that you could charge three hundred dollars for um so we we started there uh, that had, you know, its ups and downs, but learned a lot about the initial business. And mm-hmm. um, uh, and then that's about the time that I was going to college and starting that process. And, um, you know, just doing design and development on the side. And that's mm-hmm. what I was spending all my time doing. Right. But then the, the work, or I guess when you were going to college, did you pursue that type of training and stuff in that platform? Or did you do business? Or what, what did you do there? Yeah, my idea was that I wanted to learn design. Um, and so I went to like get a graphic design degree at Boise state. And what I realized really quickly is that when they say graphic design, they mean art. Uh, and then with that, it's a modern version of art. Basically. Yeah. Um, and so you get into like print design and these other, th- and, and then eventually, you know, some web design in like the later years, but it was mm-hmm. like, I just want people to teach me the principles of design and let's go. And so I was in these classes right. with a bunch of people who had, traditional art backgrounds Mm -hmm. and i was like oh wow you're one way more talented than i am (laughs) and two this like i want to learn how to do things on the computer like stuff you want yeah yeah when do we get into photoshop when do we Mm -hmm. get to learn code and these other things so um i lasted uh a full semester (laughs) in (laughs) graphic design yeah and then i switched to marketing and, and business yeah and i ended up staying for i guess it was uh, another year and a half. So mm-hmm. before I realized like, oh, I know enough now that I can start <laughs> to get meaningful design projects and I could actually make a living at this. Mm-hmm. And and I was going to school to learn a skill so that I could earn a living. Right. And then I realized like, well, actually what happened is I closed my first $10,000 um, web application development project. Mm, and, yeah. you know, I wasn't going to make all of that because I had to hire <clears throat> out. Sure. Um, a decent amount of it, but yeah, you know, I was realizing like, oh, this this is already working, mm-hmm. and so then 
I dropped out of school and, and just did that for a couple of years. Um, and then we were into like 2008 and then, mm-hmm. um, I came back from a trip. Uh, my wife and I went to South Africa and we did that for five weeks and I came back and it was beginning of 2009 and, um, or we were just dating at the time, but, um, came back and, well, I went to talk to all these clients again and every, everybody was like financial crisis. We're not spending yeah. any money. Yeah. Um, and so then I had one client who uh, reached out and, and said like, Hey, you want to join full time? And I was like, uh, yeah, okay. That sounds good. And so, and it was Give a software a stabi- stability for a while. <laughs> yeah. And so I ended up staying there for three years, um, okay. leading the software design team. And what uh, what type of company were they, or what were they doing? Yeah, so they were called Unity Media Group, and they actually did a really interesting blend of um, software and like video production and mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Because okay. those two skills often don't live at the same company. Mm-hmm. You know, you'll get these great media companies or these ad agencies or things like that, and they often don't understand technology or they don't have mm-hmm. an approach there. Or you get the software companies, and they're like, "Look at this thing that we made." Also, there's nothing. Yeah. To put into right. it. And so I think they did a really good job of building out a first class software team mm-hmm. and then also building out a video production team. Right. It was all venture funded and it all eventually yeah. failed. But sure. um we spent a lot of money in the process. Yeah. I, I didn't I didn't realize that you were a part of that team because I remember when that was kind of mm-hmm. going and blooming and stuff and so but I'm sure you learned a lot of just being in part of that organization and kind of seeing how, how that worked and and did that, uh, were you then kind of looking at how you could do something outside of that dur- during that time, or were you kind of just all in on that? And then once it, you know, once you changed out from there onto your own thing, or was that kind of being developed along the way too? Yeah. So, um, as part of that, they wanted to get all this media content that we we're shooting and producing for hospitals, particularly around, um, weight loss and surgeries and all of yeah. that stuff. Kind of turn uh, into a platform and stuff. Yeah, and, and so they wanted to do it on the iPad. And so when the iPad was announced, it was like, oh, this is incredible. We could take the software and yeah. the video and get this into a format that you could just actually hand to patients. Right. Because um, all the hospitals, you know, were realizing that they were doing like these weight loss surgeries and then no one would actually change their lifestyle after it. Mm-hmm. And so the whole like they, they needed patients to understand and to really yeah. buy into it. And so they're trying to do that with media content. Um, and so when the iPad was announced, uh, that was in January, and I think it was going to come out in April. Mm-hmm. And so it was basically like, okay, we're going to have an iPad app released the, di- uh, the day the iPad comes out. So that wow. was a unique challenge. Um, that's, to, a, that's a bit of a wait there. <laughs> yeah. Um, to go learn how to build an, iP- an iPad app. And then design for a platform that we actually didn't know, um, and that was that was definitely unique. You know, I was just on the design side, so the developers had to figure out more of what to do. Um, but it, it was pretty fun. And then you know we're here in Boise, and uh, Boise didn't have an Apple Store at the time, well, and so yeah. the day that the iPad was released, you know, got up at five thirty in the morning, flew to Portland. <laughs> um, there was a, an iPhone development shop that we were working with. They were kind of advising us on the process. Yeah. And they had their office in Portland. So we went to the Apple store in the mall in Portland, um, bought like a dozen iPads. And <laughs> it was kind of funny because there were, there were hundreds of people in line to buy right. iPads. But we just worked through their business department and had uh, an appointment. So there's like <laughs> hundreds of people lined up, and then it's like, oh, I'll take a dozen, please. Some, <laughs> you know, some guy with Apple was standing out front. And he goes, "Oh, are you guys with the Unity Media Group?" And I'm like, "Yeah." Okay, cool. <laughs> and so we were the first ones in the store, and I was just like, "Nice, huh?" Okay, there's there, there are better ways to do <laughs> <yeah>. things. <laughs> uh, and so we got there was a limit. I think they would only give us ten or a dozen, you know, yeah. so many iPads. Sure. But then we went back to this, you know, our partner's office. Mm-hmm downloaded our software from the app store because it had been on the app store a couple days earlier right. um, or had gone online the, online the day before, but you couldn't test it besides on the emulator. Wow. And realized, like ran through it. It all worked. There was like one little wow, bug. That's amazing. <laughs> um, I remember like there being so many people 
crammed into this office that yeah. like the Wi-Fi network wasn't really working. And so one developer is trying to put out this new fix and he's like, okay, everybody get off the Wi-Fi so that I can actually <laughs> submit this next version to Apple and then you can get on the Wi-Fi again. Yeah. Um, wow. That's, that's, that's right. I mean, that's, did you have, like how soon were you having to deliver this after like assuming that it was going to work then on the new? Yeah. So people on our team um, went from there. Uh, they took, we loaded the software onto the 10 or 12 different iPads. And then I think four of them went back to Boise with us um, to St. Luke's, which is our hospital client here. And then um, a couple went to another client in Minnesota. Like somebody flew straight from Portland with wow. three iPads so and like somebody else right went then. to Florida. Yeah. Yeah. And so, it, I mean, that was part of the thing of like, as a startup, if you can move quickly. Yeah. You, and were, you already had the content shot and everything to load yeah. on there, the videos and stuff. And, yeah, and so that was a cool experience in realizing, um, like, one, the, the just the value of moving quickly. Because mm-hmm. two months later or a month later, and that wouldn't have been cool anymore. Yeah. But at those salespeople who took those iPads and hopped on a plane immediately afterwards, right. they, they got to walk in to a meeting um, with that <laughs> next morning and show people a device that they had never seen before. Like, wow. they... Because everybody was like, oh, what is, like, let me play with the iPad. Right. And so if you think about the, it's not the perceived value. Um, I'm trying to think of what, I don't know what the marketing term would be. It's like the coupling of they now think that your <laughs> product is as cool as the iPad because they just right. received both at the same time. Yeah. You just got the extra boost because you came in with a dual, a dual piece that's even not even yours, but you get right. associated with it. Yeah. Yeah. And it was a new new framework and platform. Right. So then from there for me it was I just I fell in love with the platform and started yeah. building for iOS and um built a couple iPad apps on the side. Um and then when it was finally time to leave the company, I had that skill set and I had a couple apps in the store making a bit of money, a couple thousand dollars a month. Um and that provided a nice cushion to be able to leave. And now when that uh when the iPad came out how many versions of the iPhone had been out by that point? I mean, it was, it was, this is a ways down, right? I'm trying to remember. It's, it was a couple of years. So the iPad was 2010. Was the iPhone 2007? Sounds about right. Cause I, think. I feel like this, well, just for based on the style of the iPad and looking at what the phone, what right. like that was around, like, I don't think the four was yet. It's probably like the, it must have been three, the three, 3G, 3GS or no. Did they have the S yet? I don't think they did the S yet. Yeah. It was just the 3G and then the 4. It might have been right around the 4 because they did have a different style. Because then we were thinking the next iPhone was going to go to that, like, you know, curved back, That's flat right. metal back style, yeah. but they never ended up going that route or something. I don't know. That's just what I, I'm thinking of, but who knows? It was, it's all. Uh, yeah, and they, they had the. Because for a long time, the iPhone didn't have an app store for the first year, maybe oh, two years. Really? Okay. And so the app store had been out for a little while for the iPhone. So that's why this company that we worked with, um, and they actually ended up later getting acquired by Walmart to form like all of Walmart digital. Um, But they had done like Whole Foods iPhone app and they'd done Mm -hmm. these other things the moment the app store had come out. So we were brand new to the whole platform. Right, right. And the iPad was brand new. And they were just as new to the iPad, but they had done stuff in like the preceding six months or a year for... Because that first while, it was pretty much just an iPhone app that was blown up to use on the iPad, right? Or did they actually have specific ones for the iPad? They they had spe- you could build specific apps, okay. but um, I feel like most of them, at least initially, when we had the were old just like iPad, let me two X. Like, hey, let's zoom it in, <laughs> and that becomes the iPad app. I'm like, eh. It's terrible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's because that w- there was only a couple hundred apps for the iPad at launch. It was okay. very very limited. Yeah, and that was so that was around the time then you were seeing that you could do that. So when you first right. jumped off on yours, you were mainly just doing apps, right? Yeah, so I was, I was um, developing my own apps, making some money from that, um, and then doing freelance design specifically with apps. What, what type of apps seemed to, like, did you have to go through several iterations before you had something that actually made some money? Or was it like most everything that went out at that point was at least getting picked up and, you know? Yeah, it was crowded enough that, um, most things didn't make money. Yeah. Um, uh, a few of the apps, like I made an app uh, to, like a flashcards app, just to learn programming. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
it's like that in the to-do list that every beginner programmer <laughs> has to write. Right. Um, and that one didn't go anywhere at all. Mm-hmm. But then I did an app that I called One Voice, which was um, um, for like kids with nonverbal autism mm. or anyone who had a stroke and lost the ability to speak. So yeah. it was a, a, you know, an iPad with all these tiles on it. Each tile has a word or a short phrase. Yeah. And then I used this speech synthesis library. So if you uh-huh. tapped on it, it would make a sentence and, and uh. verbalize it. So it replaced like this $8,000 ruggedized PC that yeah. had a 30 minute battery life. And <laughs> it was just a disaster wow. of a, uh, of a product. Mm-hmm. And by being able to come in with an app on the iPad, which has so many advantages already right. and a bit, you know, a better design and all of that, mm-hmm. um, it was a pretty compelling app to begin with. And that, that's the one that I made most of the money on. And then I made a, like a habit tracking app, um, mm-hmm. called commit that, uh, picked up, got picked up by Lifehacker and a few other places. So that one yeah. did pretty well. Nice. I don't know that it ever made more than like a couple thousand dollars in yeah. a month because it was 99 cents and turns right. out you have to sell a lot of 99 <laughs> cent apps. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it didn't nice. have any viral components or so it would spike up in the app store when featured by Lifehacker, but it would fall right back down. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. right. And that was, uh, and then at what point did you do the, your first book then? Yeah. So I was doing, I thought my future was in like freelance design. And so I thought, okay, if I write the book on how to design iPhone apps, there was only one other book out there and it was, more of a technical manual. And I thought, okay, I can mm-hmm. do more of a user experience design focused mm-hmm. book. Then like, I mean, do you want to hire some random designer? Or do you want to hire the guy who wrote the book on it? And so <laughs> I thought like, okay, this is going right. to be great. Yeah. Um, and so that was in end of 2012 that I released it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was expecting it to make some sales and, and do okay. Cause I launched it to a small audience of about 800 people on a MailChimp email list. Mm-hmm. And, um, instead, so my goal was to make $10,000 from the entire, like however long the book was on sale. Mm-hmm. Um, and I ended up making $12,000 in the first day. Wow. And I was just like, okay, wait, what? <laughs> and then by the end of 48 hours, I think it was at $19,000 and then things yeah. really started to taper off kind of after the initial big spike from the launch. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I remember thinking like starting to get some of these freelance offers coming in and i think i took the first one and then the second one came and i went wait it's i like, like wait a minute i, I kind of like doing that <laughs> yeah. part of it <laughs> this is a, a, a better way to make money like it just yeah. it shows up as people you know yeah. are buying this product um mm-hmm. and uh you don't have to do any work to deliver on it and mm-hmm. um so then was that digital was that a physical book no, it was, all, was it di- all, digital. all digital yeah yeah so um it was this model that people were doing online courses and people were doing books and I kind of merged the two mm-hmm. and ended up being really, really compelling. Yeah. Um, cause I basically had one price point, um, where you could buy just the book and then up from there you could buy like these premium packages that had uh, okay, yeah. all of my assets and resources in them that I use when designing apps mm-hmm. and it had video tutorials, oh, yeah. um, and a bunch of stuff like that all included. Mm-hmm. And I think I, char- I charged, I had just the book for $29 and then I had the full, like the full package for 129 Mm -hmm. was kind of the initial thing. And I was blown away at how many people chose the full package. Yeah. Cause I realized later a bunch of them were like professional designers who like me a few years earlier had been told, Hey, um, we're going to build an iPhone app, like figure out how to do it. Right. (laughs) And so they just, they were like, okay, I have the company credit card. Right. Let me go buy some material and how to mm-hmm. learn from this. And mm-hmm. and that's what they would do. And and I was thinking about it from the perspective of like, well, what would I spend a hundred dollars on? Is, yeah. you know, I think most creators mm-hmm. do that. Right. And you just realize like, you're Put not the customer. In your shoe. Yeah. Those shoes. Yeah. Not what you would. <laughs> yeah. And so if you're ever, you know, doing training or education in that way, um, one common thing to think about is like, okay, why would somebody pay for this when it's available for free on the internet? Like mm-hmm. whatever you want to know, video production, right. everything. Mm-hmm. You can research it for free on the internet. Yeah. And instead you just have to think of like, okay, what HR professional, what business operations person wants to write a paycheck to somebody where the memo line says researching free stuff on the internet. Yeah. 
Like it's just it's not free at that point because yeah. I had to pay you a substantial salary for you to research free stuff. So mm-hmm. if instead I can get you to buy a course for two hundred bucks or mm-hmm. something like that, and it can take five days of learning and shortcut that down to a single day, yeah, then that's a fantastic deal at a couple hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. And so when you think about it from that perspective of like, okay, I'm not trying to sell products to myself or another version of me. I'm trying to sell it to professionals who earn a living doing this. They're doing it for a corporation. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, when we were doing our first iPad app, we, uh, or I was going to say we would have paid a lot to shortcut that process in our learning. <coughs> and we actually did because we hired a company to right. consult for us, <laughs> you know? And so yeah. like that was tens of thousands of dollars. And so, um, you know, had I been that, had my book existed, we would have bought that. We would, you know, mm-hmm. whatever could have sped it up. So sure. it just makes this big opportunity to be able to sell uh, training and um, products and all of that to creators. That's where like the whole light, you know, Lightroom presets and all that stuff. Cause someone's mm-hmm. going great. I can spend 50 bucks on this and it will save me all this time. Right. Um, right. Yeah. It's just a different world. And, and did, uh, did you ever, I guess, as you were starting to kind of build into that space, I guess at what, what point did it become more than you at that point? I mean, in the past, you had had kind of a small team and stuff, so you were doing right. this. Did it, uh, um, was it still just you for a fair bit of just, you know, so you went back and wrote another book then, or did you like that process? And yeah, stuff? I stayed independent because... I don't know. I, I like the autonomy and, and, uh, I think at the time I was actually really enamored with like solo business. Yeah. Um, maybe it was cause I just had come out of this VC backed company where we grew to mm-hmm. 90 people and we were spending a million dollars a month and, um, which, you know, I wasn't involved in, in like the operation side of that, but I got sure. to see like, you know, you just walk in, you like meet three new people and you're like, who are you? And I'm like, I work here now. So like, great. <laughs> you know, welcome. Another one. Um, and so, you know, I just saw this book worked and actually this iPhone app that I made, the habit app commit, mm-hmm. um, the habit that I had it tracking in there was to write a thousand words every day. Mm, yeah. And that's how I'd gotten the focus <clears throat> to actually get the book out and finish it. And I had a habit of writing a thousand words a day for, I think it was like 75 days in a row mm-hmm. at the time that the book was finished. So the day after I finished the book, yeah. it popped up and said, are you going to write a thousand words today? And my first thought was no, mm-hmm. because like, I met my yeah, goal. The book is published. Like, this is way more right, successful than yeah. it could be. And then I looked at that streak and I went, well, I don't want to break it. Right. Because <laughs> the app would like start over at zero if yeah. you didn't check in for a day. Right. And so I thought, well, what else could I write about? And I yeah. ended up writing a book on designing web applications, taking a lot of the same concepts and applying it in this mm-hmm. other pattern. Mm-hmm. Um, and I released that actually just 90 days later because I was. Yeah. I think probably the most motivated and focused I've ever been in my life. Yeah. <laughs> um and how old were you at that that point? Uh I would have been twenty two. Yeah. Yeah, it's nice. the end of two thousand twelve. Yeah. Um and so the very the end of two thousand twelve so I launched the first book in sep- beginning of September and then beginning of December I launched the second book. Wow. Um, that was quick. <laughs> yeah. Um I think that's another thing that I've realized is how long people say things should take mm-hmm. is it's just kind of arbitrary. Yeah. How long does it take to write a book? I don't know, probably a year, two years, maybe a year to research it, a year to write it. Right. You hear people say that and, you know, I'm working on another book right now and yeah, that's about how long it's taking me. You right. Know? Um, yeah. But you got a different focus and a different yeah. set of things going on. It's yeah. like um, uh, I had another friend growing up I guess it was maybe when he was like 19 or 20, he decided he wanted to learn to play the piano. Mm-hmm. Had never done it before. Yeah. That kind of thing. And you'd see him play a year in and he was remarkable. Yeah. And it's just like, how long have you been playing the piano? Oh, a year. Whereas somebody else might've been playing for 10 years and not be at that same mm-hmm. level because he just approached it with a level of focus. Mm-hmm. And we, we think about these things of like, okay, to achieve mastery or not mastery to achieve like, better just, than good yeah, enough just no, good knowledge of that yeah space. we're like oh it takes years how long have you been doing filmmaking how long have you been writing any of these things oh i've been doing it for a decade mm-hmm. and it's like yeah but if you've been doing it maybe an hour a week or right yeah how much of that time right you're actually committed to it yeah 
and so if you sit down and and really decide like either this new skill that you're going to learn or you know you're going to take the skills that you have and apply it mm-hmm. um whether it's a book or um shooting a documentary or any of these things mm-hmm. like i know so many people that have shot a documentary and then like the editing process is going to take them another two years too long <laughs> you know and yeah. it's just like part of it's pareto's law of like it'll grow and the task will grow in time and scope to fill um the time allotted for it right. si- size and scope to fill the time allotted for it yeah um and then a lot of it's just human nature and so realizing like mm. when you want to turn something around quickly right um, yeah when the pressure's on like yeah <clears throat> and so then I, w- I was super excited because I launched that. It ended up doing $26,000 in sales in the first day. Mm, Um, And I was just like, this is incredible. This idea of you can build an audience in a specific niche. Like I'm just teaching design to web Mm -hmm. and app developers. Um, And at that point, I'd grown the audience to like 5,000 people. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was just like, whoa, okay, I can make a full-time living off of just this. Yeah. and so that had me so excited. I was like going around telling everyone, did you know this is possible? Did you know? <laughs> um, and some people were like, you know, blown away by it. Yeah. And I would share all the numbers and I write blog posts about right. that because transparency is a big thing for me. Um, but then I would also do the same with email marketing where I was blown away at the power of email. Mm-hmm. And I'd go around to um, like, I remember talking to one friend, his name's Ron uh, here in Boise. And I was like, did you know that email converts better than all the social media channels combined? And he's just looks at me cause he's been doing online marketing forever. Mm-hmm. And he's like, yeah, we've all known that since like 2001. Um, because, and he was just kind of like, welcome to the party. Um, yeah. cause he's, you know, his friends, uh, were like Ryan DeLuca who founded bodybuilding, mm-hmm. um, and bodybuilding.com and, and like that internet marketing community from back in the day, which is kind of funny that, you know, here in Boise, Idaho, where we are, right. there's actually a really strong old school yeah. online marketing community. It's true. Yeah. Um, and they already knew that everybody had been doing email. And now at this point it's 20, 2013. And I'm like, email is the greatest thing ever. And yeah. I was just learning everything that I could. Right. And that's when I started to realize, okay, I'm learning these best practices, but um, they're not, easy they're not easy to put into practice in like mm-hmm. mailchimp and other tools but i knew how to code so i was like able to yeah. make it work yeah. and that's when i thought okay what would it look like if i created a tool mm-hmm. for building an audience online for like bloggers and creators like me mm-hmm. and because at that also at that point is when that community was really booming too the whole blogging oh, yeah. and online um creators in that space right i mean that was kind of a um, I mean, it's still obviously huge now too, but even right. then it was really taken off, right? Yeah, and I mean, it's crazy how much it's grown from that point. But yeah, I remember at one point feeling like I was late to the party. Yeah. Um, you know, and th- but then, I mean, someone with a really big audience then, like the people that I followed, would have 10,000 email subscribers. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of crazy now that the people with a really big audience... Um, you know, the, I'm trying to think what books I have seen on the shelf, but like, uh, James clear the atomic habits, you know, if you go to his site, he's got five or 600,000 email subscribers mm-hmm. or like Mark Manson, um, for all of his book, you know, I think he's over a million subscribers. Like these, the audiences now are so huge mm-hmm. as so many more people have moved online that even though right. I felt I was late, it was like, Oh no, actually it's, it's everything has increased tenfold since, mm-hmm. um, when I thought I was late to the party. Right. <laughs> and so when it started, when it started to grow, um, I mean, there was, was there a specific time when you realized then that you needed to go outside of just you or was that pretty early on when you, when you needed to, at yeah. what point did that happen? Yeah. I didn't have the development skill to build the whole thing myself. So I started working with um, a contract developer mm-hmm. pretty much from day one. Okay. And then I did, you know, using those uh, skills from the GeoCities days, mm-hmm. um, I wrote the uh, the HTML and CSS and did the design. Mm-hmm. And then we built it in Ruby on Rails. Um, nice. And, uh, you know, and so Sam, the contract developer, you know, did that code side. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of talking to customers and building things out. The goal, I was trying to get to $5,000 a month in recurring revenue within six months. Mm-hmm. And the 
didn't pull that off. Um, I hit $2,000 a month in recurring revenue after yeah. six months. Yeah. And I remember feeling like it was kind of a failure, but at the same time, like maybe I just set the goal too high. Yeah. And so I was pretty excited that, okay, it, you know, we made progress. This worked. Mm-hmm. Um, and how, how long did it take before, I guess, was that six months from beginning of development or from launch? Like that was from beginning of development. Wow. That's something I realized that, um, so you're able to get people along the way as you're yeah. continuing to build it out and stuff. Yeah. So I, I did, uh, I asked people to, um, pre-order the product. Mm-hmm. I think we sold $5,000 worth of pre-orders. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those were one like pre-buying yeah. once at a time and yeah. in trade for a discount. Um, I should go look. I wonder if anyone of those like 25 pre-orders is still a customer today. <laughs> That'd be pretty cool. Nobody comes they, to mind, yeah. but because um, were these because these were ones you already had in your your um, you know kind of contact list from before with the book and everything. Yeah, and exactly. So it was people that were in that space, right? Yeah, and that was an important lesson: is realizing that if you're going to make new products, you should overlap the audience. Mm. Like, don't go. I had a lot of products that I made. So going back to the, like One Voice, that was that iPad app mm-hmm. that um, was focused on. Um, my kids with autism Mm -hmm. and the overlap between that and the, um, the web designers, like if we were to make a Venn diagram, Mm -hmm. there's like basically no overlap whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Whereas the overlap between the app design book and the web design book had significant overlap. Perfect. Yeah. So then that's one of those things where that I was slowly learning is, Oh, if you go after a single audience, then you can have Mm -hmm. this ecosystem of products that serves that audience. Right. Rather than um, rather than going after like the scattershot effort, where you know, because the question I asked is, okay, if I put effort into marketing product A, how much residual benefit does it provide for product B? Mm-hmm. And if the answer wasn't significant, then I shut down the project or sold it off or mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah, because I needed to focus. Right, and uh, so as you were. I guess since before you kind of had this main focus on doing that part yourself, I mean, aside from the the obvious needs of design or the building part that you had someone coming to do, mm-hmm. um, was it was it more of a hard transition to let go of more and more parts of it as it can started to grow from that point? Or was it just kind of, you kind of knew that that needed to happen to, to kind of continue going where you wanted to go? I think for those early stages, it, it wasn't too bad to let go of mm-hmm. those things. Um, I think that's something that I'm trying to figure out now. Yeah. Like, I still run our product team uh, directly. Yeah. <laughs> and that's something, you know, that I'm just now hiring for and starting to let go mm-hmm. of of those things. And so it's like there's plenty of things in business that are easy to let go of. Because you're like, I I didn't like doing that anyway. Right. Um, <laughs> but it's the things that you love and you're obsessive about that yeah. to either let go of it or to really um, give that to somebody and mm-hmm. let them run with it. That's actually something that I'd be curious for you as you've started to expand your team. Yeah. Are there some of those things that were like m- maybe the two categories? What were the things yeah. where you're like, I'm so happy to let go of this? And the ones <laughs> where you're like, find yourself like still oh, yeah. a little yeah. over involved. Yeah, I mean... Well, like we were talking about earlier too, having having someone that's full time doing the editing. You know, mm-hmm. we had, it was an early on process that we had to implement to be able to to translate our vision to you know someone else on the earlier stage, and that's because pretty early on we would get projects, and if we're having to go film some film somewhere, we can't always do that, and right. it's also a necessary part of being a director and also creating these different things as you can't always be the hands-on piece throughout all the puzzles. Yep. So I think that was because we were used to managing and delegating stuff in previous like construction background and stuff. Mm-hmm. That part was easier as far as being able to have an idea and a vision, you know, to pass it on to someone. So that just basically had to translate to all of the, you know, it's like, oh, I'll keep this one and just, you know, I want to do the filming and the editing and just like have, because cause at least for me, I mean, I, I like the attention to detail and the small stuff and, getting to create that final piece that people end up right. seeing, but then realizing that, no, it's, it's even more, you know, accomplishment, at least that I look at is it when you can see 
that you translated that vision properly and it's exactly the way that you had envisioned right. it, you know, from start to end. So that was one of the things that I was, I was happy to hand off because, um, because it empowered me even more to have an even clearer vision from the get go of this is, you know, this is the story. Here's the storyboard, the script, and right. you know, all the way into that final product. You know, that tr that had to translate into the crew now that's doing the filming, and you're not even doing the filming. All you're doing is just basically directing the shoot, and then mm. that has to be made even more clear beforehand. So that part I definitely enjoyed, like handing that part off right. of it off. I feel like the parts that was harder to let go, I think, is is more so bringing in someone that handles more of the the communication and the smaller things even though like it's definitely something that gets bogged down and gets behind and emails and all that kind of stuff but there's a part that we built our business on was that personal connection with the people right. and a lot of times they were hiring us as like we're the communicate we're the you know that it's that uh you know a lot of it was referrals and you know word of mouth and stuff so it's built upon a reputation right so to have to um you know, also not be also the one that's contacting them all the time or, or, you know, giving them the information. Sometimes it's translated to, you know, our producer and then they're, you know, she's the one then sending off the details and because I just get caught up in it as like the lists and all, you know, the, the stuff that has to happen in the back end to go to and make those things happen. I think that was definitely uh, something, even though it can be a mundane sometimes for me, it's, you know, it's empowering just to have all that stuff to do. So, right. Um, so I think that was, that was harder, but I mean, it's a necessary part of it. And that's what it seems like even with, with you guys too, is, you know, as that team grows and then, um, you know, we have a benefit that our team is, is fairly close to where we are, but then with you guys, you know, you got people all over the place. Yeah, so how do you manage that part of it of not just letting go, but also, you know, you don't even, you're not even there, you know, involved with all the processes sometimes. Yeah. Well, I think the biggest thing there, and that, that's something that I realized I wanted after my last job, which was that, that unity media group, um, was I really wanted to be evaluated or judged purely based on my output. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what kind of all creators want. Right. Is this idea of, um, let me do great work mm -hmm. and judge me based on that. Not how long I spend sitting in a chair right. or how many times a day I waited, you know, five, five thirty, <laughs> five forty-five, six o'clock. Yeah. And then like my boss heads out of the office and I'm like, cool. I think I'll, you know, this is at a good stopping point. Maybe I'll head home too, <laughs> you know? Right. And like, I just don't want that. I want like, I want to do great work and then um, purely be evaluated based on that. Yeah. And so I think that's something that, um, Maybe in an in-person company, people um, aspire to or that's a value that they set if that's something that's important to them. But in a remote company, that's your only option mm -hmm. because somebody might not be working at all and right. could be totally faking it. And, and so you don't, you don't evaluate pe people based on how long their little green light is on in Slack. Mm -hmm. um, and it's purely based on their output. What's the yep. quality? Of, what contributions are they making to the project, to the company? Mm -hmm. And if they're not making major contributions, like... You can't work together. And and so there's no there's nothing to hide behind of like, yeah. oh, but I stay late every day or mm -hmm. you know, in a remote company it's just like what's the quality of the work? Yeah. And so I think the people you want are the ones who thrive in that and say, mm -hmm. Yeah, my work speaks for, speaks for itself. Like yeah. look at how good the editing job is on this video or look at how good the software is or whatever else. Mm -hmm. And then the people who you know, were kind of mailing it in and right. you know. <laughs> Or they're yeah. like working hard, but then you you know you as the boss go off on a trip and they're like, all right, yeah. good, we can have right. four or five days of just chilling out around the office. Yeah, um, I think that that's that's definitely something that that we've looked at too is like how do you how do you balance that out to where you know having something that's someone can be motivated by this amount mm -hmm. of work that you're doing, but on the same sense that we've seen too, it, it also in a good way requires you to then establish more parameters of what that successful outcome looks like, you know, because wh whatever the, you know, less hours, more hours, whatever it takes, like to get it to this, because we know the right. quality needs to be here. But then it also, you have to then outline that much more appropriately. So then they know, like, this is what it means to get to this point. And 
if I'm going to work extra hard and get this done quicker and they're, right. you know, happy, then like it works better for both of us. Yeah. And I think that's where, you know, you end up doing work for, cu- for customers or clients uh, on a per project basis instead of hourly. Exactly. Because then you know, hey, if I make something incredible and it takes less time, our profit will be higher. Mm-hmm. But then on the flip side, you're like, you know, maybe our initial assets weren't as good as I hoped they would be or the first concept that I tried didn't work. Mm-hmm. And you're like, you can say, yeah, but I'm still going to meet this bar yep. and I'm not going to make as much on this project. Mm-hmm. But like our company performs the standard yeah. instead of trying to convince the customer, hey, you know, pay me for another 10 hours and then we'll get it great. It's just like, nope, we agreed on yep. that I would deliver you something great for this amount of money. Yep. And it's now on me to make up the difference and make that happen. Mm-hmm. And that's a relationship as a creator that I'm really comfortable with because yeah. it might be painful because um, right. <laughs> it often doesn't go yeah. in your favor. Um, but it's, I just, I like that level of responsibility for mm-hmm. it. Yeah. And, and so now with uh, kind of where the business is, is growing and, and going into, it seems like, um, well, I guess two different things when, you know, you talk with some people that email marketing is, is lower or not as big. And now you have all these other, um, social media platforms right. and all these kind of things. How is, as a company that is centered around that main feature, and obviously it's, it's not dead cause there's right. all kinds of systems both here as well as other ones and, and, uh, you know, funnel click funnels and all that kind of stuff that is still centered around that. how, how do you guys stay as a company that is in this realm still relevant as things change with technology and all that kind of stuff? Right. Yeah. And I think that's something that early on was really a concern of like, um, so like MailChimp has a email platform. I think they're at 19 years old now at this mm-hmm. point. And so you're like, okay, maybe as I go and compete with MailChimp, am I just c- catching the very tail end of this wave and maybe we can have a nice little business, but mm-hmm. it won't grow from there. Cause you know, everyone would every, every year or two says email is dead um, and so on. But it's been interesting as these different social platforms have come and gone. Like, um, you know, I remember it wasn't that long ago that Snapchat was like the mm-hmm. biggest thing ever. And right. Snapchat's far from gone. Right. Just they're not on a meteoric rise like they were. And they're, they're now, they're just another Twitter. Um, and, and then I think people have a lot less trust for Facebook Facebook especially mm-hmm. um, these days. Um, and so you see kind of the changing landscape there. And one thing that's always true that's a constant is that um, as a creator, if you can have this small network of fans that you can, mm-hmm. um, that follow you in whatever you do and you own the relationship to. Mm-hmm. So it's not like, yeah, I have my Facebook fan page and I've got 500 fans, but like Facebook is now charging me to... Yeah. Like boost a post in order to reach them. Right. Um, instead, it's just like, no, these are my people. They followed everything that I've made since the early days. Mm-hmm. They followed me from the guy who right. uh, built iPhone apps to the guy who wrote a book about iPhone apps all the way through to starting ConvertKit. Like I have some people who have been the same person on my right. email list and followed that journey all the way along. Right. Um, and so having that is pretty incredible. It's like uh, Kevin Kelly from Wired talks about 1,000 true fans. That as an artist, as a creator, you just need 1,000 people who are truly invested in what you're doing, and you can earn a full-time living from that. Right. And so when you have that, it just ends up being the superpower that Mm -hmm. whatever you do, you show up in a city for a video shoot, and you're like, you know what? I want to hang out with some cool creators. Mm -hmm. And so you hop in your email tool and filter it down, you're like, oh, out of the 1,000 people on my list, like 12 of them live in Salt Lake City, Mm -hmm. or 25 of them are in LA, or whatever. And you can get a, a handful together for some beers and mm-hmm. and uh, have a little meetup and things like that. But it's like it that's your relationship. Yeah. Those are your friends and fans. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's no corporation, yeah, you know, or, or giant social network in right. the middle of that. And so we've seen this crazy resurgence, even more than I expected. Back to I don't yeah. necessarily want to call it old school tech, but it kind of feels like that. Yeah, but yeah. it's it's really it's going back to just standard communication i mean yeah. not in a sense i mean you're like that's like writing and sending something right. to someone it's not like you said it's not having to filter through something that's either not going to get there or is going to get there depending on how much you pay it's like 
know, it's going to be in the inbox. Right. <laughs> Whether it might get filtered into a different folder or something or like yep. placed under a different header, but it's still, you know, you do it right, as you've, I'm sure, seen, then you get in the right in front of that audience. Well, I think it's just a platform that rewards, uh, it's not gimmicky at all, and mm -hmm. it just rewards uh, great content consistently. Yeah, so authenticity people, shows through too. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, it just ends up being fun to follow people, like follow creators who are just saying, hey, this is what I'm working on. It also lends itself super, super well to showing the behind the scenes process. Mm -hmm. And like one of our mantras at ConvertKit is teach everything you know. And mm -hmm. so we have, um, you know, blog posts all like all the way along from when ConvertKit was making thousands of dollars a month to millions. Like there's just blog posts sharing the whole story all the way along because mm -hmm. that's so important to us. And we want to emulate that for other creators to do because that's the way yeah. that you build trust with your audience. You just say, hey, here's the shoot that I'm out on. Like, here's the behind the scenes footage. This is what we're up to. Oh, we've got this show coming out and that's going there. Oh, here's the latest episode of the podcast. Mm -hmm. um, you know, here's a little montage that we cut together of, uh, you know, I don't know, the shoot that we did in Moab or, mm -hmm. you know, any of those things. And you let people become fans of you, not just your work. Right. Um, and and that ends up being so compelling, mm -hmm. you know. And, and, uh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. I was just gonna say, and you find yourself years later yeah. where you're just like, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess I make cool things, and I've got like five thousand people that just yeah are waiting for me to make more cool <laughs> stuff. Uh, you yeah, know, and you're like, I, I don't care. know how that happened, <laughs> but here we are. Right. Yeah. And so I guess one question that I have too is, in that sense, because even just in the sense of, of like our business, I mean, it's it's getting my mind going too, just on our side of because. Because I know as as a creator, like we get caught up in creating and not necessarily, you know, making just for the sake of sharing and doing that right. kind of stuff because you're caught up doing the work. Um, and especially as building something that is a company like what you've done too, it's not just you in the same sense in like say in our um, space where it's not just, you know, it's been built up around, you know, my brother and I as being, you know, co-owners and stuff. But as you you know, share and promote and do those kind of things. Like I've always been torn of like, okay, does it get promoted out through the business platform of a channel as right. like, this is who we are as far as a business, like follow this around. Or is it like, yeah, follow Micah along, follow Josiah, follow Eric, you know, all these different people. Like right. it's kind of, that's where it's been a, I guess a struggle on, even on, on my side of just trying to figure out, okay, which, which one do you push? Because in the end, it's like you're, you're sharing the business, which is personal, but it's also, it's a business, not just the individual. So I don't know if what you think about that. Yeah. Um, I think it's one of those things that's really easy to get caught up in is trying to figure out what's the ideal way to package all of this. Mm -hmm. um, and I think I went through a phase, like initially for my business, it was very much Nathan Berry. Like the website was nathanberry.com. Right. Um, so it's my story, my thing. And then like ConvertKit's this little thing that I'm working on. Mm -hmm. And then over time, like ConvertKit started to take off and I started to spend a lot more attention there. And Nathan Berry kind of mm -hmm. went away or like I took a break from um, publishing there. Yeah. And then they like lived in, you know, I would come back and, and I would run both of them. And now it's in this place where like ConvertKit's reach is so far beyond. Mm -hmm. Um like ConvertKit has more paying customers than I've ever had on my personal email list. Sure. You know? Um, and so realizing like I, I go to conferences and meet people all the time, mm -hmm. like manning the ConvertKit booth or something. Yeah. And they've heard of ConvertKit and all of that. And they have no idea who I am. Right. Um, and so sometimes they're like, Oh yeah. And who found the ConvertKit? And it's like, Oh, it's like, I did, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and we're like working yeah. a booth at the financial right. bloggers conference. You yeah, know? yeah. Um, and so you end up with these things separating mm -hmm. or like the project becoming so much bigger. Yeah. And I think the thing to do is not get too caught up in that and just always weave them together. Right. Um, all the way through. So, mm -hmm. you know, I would be having the production company be promoting the podcast mm -hmm. and, you know, maybe like, uh, each one, each entity has its own Instagram account and the mm -hmm. feeds are different, you right. know, um, but right. there's always cross posting, yeah. you know, it'd be one of those things of, um, like just always showing the face and the human side behind mm -hmm. the business. Yeah. And that's cause people don't really want to follow a business. They want to follow an individual. Mm -hmm. 
but then at the same time, businesses and brands have this ability to, for people to identify with them and um, feel like they're part of a tribe. Yeah, sometimes even better sure. than individuals do. Right. And so if you play those two well together, then it feels like a much mm-hmm. more compelling, interesting thing. Yeah. No, that's a good, that's a good perspective because that's definitely you know like I was saying earlier, like that's how you know even for for us has been you know gaining you know a platform and those kinds of things through through connecting with people and that's a big part of who we are and what we do mm-hmm. and so i think just keeping that working to keep that true to it no matter you know whatever size you build it to or just how many people you have involved too right so. how's it been growing the the podcast and um like and incorporating that in with the rest of the business it's been really good at what what it is is and even just like this is here just being able to you know we have a different relationship we've known each other for a while but even right. those that I've had on that have been outside of our own realm it's been a really good way to have an open door there you know just it's an easy way to sit down and get to know somebody and to you know share and find out more about them and it's a um and it's really been an you know an open door for that right. and so and that's a that's a big part for for what I've really gleaned out of it as well is just being able to also have a conversation, but also learning about that person and even just getting better at speaking and having just that communication. I mean, just, it's been a whole, you know, surrounding of just different things that we've been able to glean from it. So, um, so in my, in my space, it's been uh, a really fun thing to push into and and something that I had thought about doing for a long time and just never, you know, put some foot to it and put right. some put some motion into it. So um, so yeah, it's been it's been really fun to to see that you know progress and and uh, yeah, we're gonna keep doing it. Yeah. Do you incorporate it in? So like yeah. Uh, so it's it's tied in with Silverline. Yeah. So okay. it's that's why we um, with the name we we tied in with actual mm-hmm. silver line in it because it was like okay we already have this platform that's the main arena that we're pushing into is so it's it's not just behind the frame it's silver line behind right. the frame so it's coming from who we are getting connect with the people that we get to be around mm-hmm. not just in our work but also in our day-to-day in our travels i mean i'll run into random people like i was in your oregon shooting on the oregon coast and ran into this guy that was shooting photo- you know photos on the beach and did a podcast with him and didn't even know until I started talking with him, you know, that he was some world-class renowned surfer photographer from way oh, back wow. in the day and had shot movies and all this kind of stuff. And so we talked a little bit. It's like, oh, we need to talk more. Let's do this on a podcast and, like, actually find out more about this. And it just you right. know, you're running into random people like that that just can, you know, resonate with, with different people and sharing because we're, we're, we always try to bring in – you know, sometimes it's more the business aspect. Sometimes it's more the creative and film side. You know, interviewing other creatives yep. and stuff like that too. But, but also not making it too pushed on one side or another. You can pull different things. And 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 one of the things that I was gonna uh, bring up as well that we tried to focus on too is even just empowering other people. If it's um, having an idea, you know, to take off and run with, or kind of what were some of the things that held you back, or maybe tried to hold you back earlier on or that you have seen other people that could maybe help get them beyond that point to move on to start their thing or jump into it or try or whatever. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, things that have held me back um, and that I see holding most people back is really just giving up too early. Mm-hmm. There's some, you know, these stats that everyone throws around, like, like say you say you're going to start a business and I don't know, it's like the holidays and you're back home visiting family and some yeah. uncle's like, you know, well, half of businesses fail in the first year or some, <laughs> like whatever that yeah. stat is that everybody yeah. throws out. Yeah. Um, and the thing that I always want to say is that a business can't actually fail in the first year. Like mm-hmm. it, you, like you think about, okay, what has to be true for somebody to say like, yep, I tried that and it failed. Um, I guess in some of these, like you could have this big manufacturing thing and you yeah, ordered you tens of actually be able to make what you wanted to make. Or yeah. Something. Or, yep. Or you ordered tens of thousands of units and then like the market yeah. just flat out didn't want to buy it and right. that's it. But for most people it's like, Oh, your film business failed in the first year 
But that actually just means that you as a creator gave right. up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it didn't fail on you. It's like you <laughs> failed on it. Yeah, and so we have this yeah. idea of like, oh, it failed. Like we put this thing out there and it didn't right. work. And the realization is that I wish more people would have is like, no, at some point you stop trying. Yeah. And um, all of these things take so much time. Mm-hmm. Like the the consistent effort applied over a long period of time is the biggest thing. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, like on the wall behind me, I have this giant create sign. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of our other mantras for the company is create every day Mm -hmm. of just like put in that consistent effort all the time. So just like learning to play the piano or anything else of like show up consistently. Mm -hmm. Um, My friend Sean McCabe has this uh, saying that he's actually put on posters and stuff of show up every day for two years. Like, if you're going to write a book, start a podcast, any, anything that requires this creative effort, um, starting a business, any of those things. So many people are like, yeah, I tried it and it didn't work. And then if you were to actually, like, dig back into what they tried and how much time they spent on it, it's like, yeah, yeah, man, I worked on that thing for, like, two hours every weekend for, like, four weekends in a row. And you're like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like that business failed. Yeah. You know, like, it's just not, not the case. It sounds like you gave up. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why the the fifty percent of businesses like that's why that stat mm-hmm. exists because right. um, I would re- rewrite it's a it. People statistic, not exactly a business statistic. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so if you have this mindset of show up every day for two years, then you're like, okay, even if I can only work on this new thing for thirty minutes, mm-hmm. I'm going to work on it thirty minutes every single day. Mm-hmm. And and people are like, yeah, but what about weekends or something like that? I'm like, okay, but thirty minutes. What, what about it? <laughs> right? Yeah. Do you want this or not? Yeah. Um, and I'm not saying grind away on it for eight hours a day, seven mm-hmm. days a week for, you know, 700 whatever days. Right. Um, but, like, show up in at least in some small way. That's what I did of writing every single day mm-hmm. for, you know, I ha- had that streak going for 600, yeah, a little over 600 days in a row. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's the biggest thing is realizing that anything worthwhile takes time. And so people evaluate the success of something yeah. um, way too soon. And actually, if you'd evaluated ConvertKit's success, 20 months in, the logical decision would have been to shut the business down. Wow. And I think if you evaluate a lot of people's blogs, their books, their mm-hmm. podcasts, like three months in, mm-hmm. a year, sometimes even two years in, like the logical decision is like, okay, that didn't work. You mm-hmm. should move on. Um but the thing that really makes a difference is the people who are saying like, nope, I'm I'm going to keep doing this. Yeah. Not like blindly, like yeah. beating their head against the wall, yeah. but like I'm going to keep learning, applying what I learned, and I'm going to keep mm-hmm. showing up consistently. And I think with that mindset, you just can't lose. Mm-hmm. And so like there's a blog post that I wrote, just the title of Endure Long Enough to Get Noticed, mm-hmm. of like keep at it for long enough and keep making you know new connections and yeah. um, honing your craft and sharing it in new ways. Mm-hmm. And then it's just like, for some people, they're going to find success after three or six months. And right. other people, it's going to be two to three years. Yeah. Um, but it's like, okay, this is worth doing, so you should do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're now in a contract. You have to do it for at least two years. Yep. Um, <laughs> and then you can come back and tell me like whether yeah. or not it's worked. Right. And when you convey that mindset mm-hmm. of like, no, I'm just doing this every day for two years, and then like the number of people that will come alongside you and be like, mm-hmm. oh, I want to help make that happen. Yeah. Because they're so used to everyone else who's like, yeah, man, I tried it and it just didn't work. And that, you know, um, that consistent effort time effort over time really stands out. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's really good. I think I, I know there's, there's a lot of wealth of knowledge from over the years of, of building and, and, uh, maybe we'll do another, another catch up another time too, but I definitely appreciate you taking the time to be on the, on the podcast today and, and sharing some of the the insights and, and yeah, we're really excited to see kind of the next growing uh, stages for ConvertKit and whatever else is down the road for you guys too. So um, what, uh, so where does everybody find out more information about either your own stuff or as well as ConvertKit or? Yeah. So um, my stuff's at NathanBerry.com. If you want to read any blog posts from 
you know, the initial blog post announcing yeah. ConvertKit to <laughs> when we made our first five thousand dollars to right. all the way through. That's all there. And you're still doing that now too. Yeah, or? I still yeah. publish fairly okay. consistently. Cool. Um, you know, one of the last posts that I put up on my blog was uh, ConvertKit switching to a free version. So that would be the other thing. If you go to ConvertKit.com, you can now use ConvertKit totally for free. Um, and that's been fun to have a big enough platform to be able to afford to do that now. Yeah. Um, especially because for so many people, my message is just like, just start an email, start growing your audience yeah. for whatever, even if it's to 10 people mm-hmm. and you're like, Hey, here's the, um, photography shoot that I did. And you give a little behind the scenes peek into that to 10 people. And then like yeah. a week later, it's to like 13 people yeah. and keep building up from there. Um, so we're really excited to have that available for free. Um, I'm trying to think where else I post stuff. Those are the main places, convertkit.com, nathanberry.com. So thanks for having me on. It's been fun to see Silverline grow over the years and excited to talk again soon. Yeah, sounds good. We'll be in touch. Thanks. All right, see ya. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope you're able to glean some valuable insights from this episode. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a review and let us know what you thought and your feedback. We would love to hear from you. If you want to find out more, visit silverlinefilm.com. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook under Silverline Films. And we look forward to seeing you next week on Silverline Behind the Frame.